Uh, hi, I'm Ruben, and uh, I'm uh, a, a teacher at a nearby school. And um, I kind of came um, to the church like last summer and got married to Melinda at that time. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's a great privilege to be able to do the talk this morning um, about um, the, the title that I've kind of taken is, uh, as you can see, it should come up there in a minute, Side by Side, um, Rejoicing. And, uh, and weeping, actually I want to use the word mourning because the translation of the Bible uses the word mourning. Um, so weeping and mourning. And uh, just kind of going to ask Melinda to speak a bit and I'm going to tell a bit of my story. So hopefully there'll be some things to listen to in it that will be of interest to you. Um, but actually I really want to just go back to the picture in worship that we just had, because I kind of felt, it's always an encouragement when the preacher picks up your picture, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, Juliet, is, this is, I just felt that picture that Juliet brought is, is really uh, a kind of great um, picture of, of what is happening this morning, actually, and generally through this series, that um, just to reiterate it, as this kind of, I think she said, a, a light aircraft, um, that a kind of passenger plane, and it's flanked either side by a couple of World War II planes. Forgive me if I don't quite get the right names, but there's a Spitfire here and a hurricane here. And I feel God really wants to use that picture, you know, and just to have that in our minds as we go through this this morning, that, that we are, you know, God is the pilot of this passenger plane. We are in this little plane, but side by side, we are flanked by people God has given us. Um, in, and that is church life. What a great picture of church life. Wings almost touching, I think she said. And um, it can be very tempting. The, the kind of, as I was praying and just thinking about this last few minutes, it's like I could kind of see um, some planes further out that are kind of Lone Ranger planes that are not really side by side in here. And I, I believe God wants to encourage us to fly close this morning. That's, if you like a word, the, the phrase or the, the fr fly close to, to each other this morning. Bring your plane closer in to others. And so you are part of this. It's not an armada, is it? Um, if it's in the sky, it's something else, some other big, you know, be all, loads of planes together. You get the idea. Uh, you know, uh, uh, all these planes flying together and actually flying through the storms together, flying into the sunshine together, flying into enemy territory together, at all these highs and lows that we experience, you know, flying into the valleys together, flying up the mountains together. And I believe God wants to say, bring in your plane to what's happening here in this Sunday morning crowd. Come and fly close to each other. It's really risky to do that. It's much easier to be a bit independent and a bit out there. But actually, I feel God saying it's, it's dangerous to be out there on your own because you can be picked off. You can kind of disappear and no one knows. Fly in close. And we're going to kind of just live with that theme, really, as we walk through this morning. And this thick sense of all the ups and downs of life, in every high and every low, the valleys and the mountains, let's draw in close to each other. The um, passage that um, we just kind of kind of base ourselves in this morning is in Romans 12. So if you've got a Bible, um, you might like to turn up that, otherwise it's going to be up on the screen here. And uh, Romans 12 uh, goes like this. 
verse 9 to 18, we're going to read. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need, in two wonderful words, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice, and this is our verse for the morning really, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing, willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what to do, uh, to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's just pray, shall we? God, we just want to welcome your Holy Spirit here right now amongst us. And we say thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness, that you are good, that you're the shepherd of our hearts, and that, you get, that we get to do this alongside each other. We thank you so much for what the church is. And we pray, God, that this morning we might see a little bit of your perspective of how you see church, of how glorious you think we are together. And we pray, God, you'll come and move amongst us. Yes, Amen. Amen. So on, every, on any given Sunday, um, we can um, show the tip of our iceberg, can't we? Um, that the kind of 10%, 20% of what's going on in our lives will be kind of on display as we, as we interact with each other and shake hands and have our coffee and so on and, and chat to each other. There's the kind of top part is, is seen, but actually underneath the surface, there's all kinds of things that go on in our lives all at the same time in the room. So for some of us, we are in a rejoicing season of life. It's the house thing has happened, or the new baby thing is happening, or the engagement, or the job thing. Things are successful, and it's a kind of rejoicing season of life. Underneath your iceberg, there's a lot of happiness in your world. If someone came to your week, they would see a kind of satisfied life, okay? Or if you're a Liverpool fan this morning, okay, you're on this side of the fence, okay, they just won the Champions League last night, you're, you're in the rejoicing mode. And obviously, down the other side of the spectrum, we have Spurs fans, okay? So, um, you know, not, unable to take that opportunity presented to them by Liverpool last night, um, so we have the other extreme of people who are suffering, okay? So, apart from the jokey image of Liverpool Spurs, actually, this morning, underneath your iceberg, there is incredible pain and suffering, that it might be something that has happened uh, very quickly, where you are just in a state of shock and numbness. Or it might be something that's happened over a long period of time that's just ebbed away at you, and now you're in a place where you're kind of on the edge of something. You're either on the edge of feeling, oh, this God thing, I'll, I'll, I'm 
I'm done with it. This, this church thing, I'm, I've persevered with it so long. Or a relationship or some kind of job situation. And underneath your iceberg, there is an awful lot of pain that not many people, perhaps no one knows about. And then we have everything in between. We have kind of people who are just ticking away on normal life and everything's okay. Just, you know, it's a bit dull, really. Could do with a bit of excitement, but everything is ticking okay. And there's a little bit of rejoicing, but a bit of suffering, and a little bit of suffering, a bit of rejoicing. And it's all happening right now on the same row. So when we sing, you are good, you are good, whoa, whoa, whoa. When we sing that song, it's meaning all kinds of different things for us. If you're over here and, you know, you've just got engaged, you are good, you are good. Thank you, God, for all your faithfulness in here. If you're down this end and you're gritting your teeth to believe the faithfulness of God, you're saying, God, help me believe you are good. Yeah, I'm trying to believe it. You are good. And that same song can mean a myriad of different things. And it's all, that's, what our, that's what church is. It's this mess of all kinds of different things, but a beautiful mess in God's eyes. Seeing it from God's perspective, he looks upon us and sees this beautiful, glorious mess. And it's his work of art. Let's read a little quote from a guy called Eugene Peterson. He's the guy who wrote the message. And he does this, makes this quote. It's quite long-winded. So we're just going to unpack it a little bit. Apologies to Eugene. <laughs> uh, um, but he, it says, in, in the congregation, everything is going on at once, random and unscheduled. Babies are born squalling and people are dying neglected. And in between the parentheses of birth and death, there are lifetimes of ambiguity, kind of mystery. There's adolescence, so in the, even in this room, we've probably just gone out, teenagers making an unholy mess of growing up. And their parents looking on as, oh my word, guilty bystanders. How has this gone so wrong and why don't they talk to me? And of course, hero heroic holiness so decisions that people in this room have made this week for doing God stuff, doing the right thing, that no one will know about. It's underneath your iceberg, but you decided, I'm going to do that thing, and it cost me big time, but nobody knows. Heroic holiness, stunningly beautiful prayers. So again, here, this week, there's prayers that are prayed that have been really sacrificial. Only you know how hard it was to pray that prayer. Sacrificial love surfacing from a tangled emotions in a difficult family. So difficult family circumstances and somebody making that sacrificial moment. And this phrase I love um, from one of the Psalms, a song in the night. You know, when you are unable to sleep, you're so churned up about something and you wake up at two in the morning and you give that moment to God. And you say, you know, blessed be your name. You give and take away. God, I'm going to choose to say, blessed be your name. Those songs in the night that no one else knows. And glimpse, glimpses of glory. The next slide. In this world, in this kind of church world, the word sin is not defined by like a lexicon, like a dictionary definition. Or the word salvation, the every event... Um, 
uh, 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 salvation is not a reference traced down in a concordance. So sin, it's not a dictionary word. Salvation is not some theoretical, theological idea, but rather this. Every act of sin and every event of salvation involves a name. All of our names across the room here can be assigned to sin or great victory and salvation. And we're in one or the other column and probably in both this week, that our names are living out this kind of gospel story. In a messy community of friends and neighbors, parents and grandparents, none of whom fit a stereotype. So as we look around at each other this morning, none of us, there is no normal, there's no stereotype. It's us. With our tip of the iceberg showing, and all this stuff going on underneath it on any given Sunday morning. And the encouragement is, let's fly closer to each other and allow, just allow some more of ourselves to be seen. Let's be more honest. Let's be open. Because we can't rejoice and mourn unless we really know each other. So in the passage we read of Romans... It's, it, these things are given as a command as we arrive in Romans 12. We have rejoice with those who rejoice. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. But actually, it's a command in the, all for our good, in the light of God's grace. So Romans 5 talks about, because um, therefore, since we, are, we have faith in Jesus, we are justified. We're totally right before God. Because we're in Jesus. It's like he's put on a, his righteous cloak on us. We're right before God. We don't have to pray to get to God. We don't have to worship. We don't have to read our Bible. We don't have to go to church. We don't have to do anything. We are righteous because we believed in Jesus. So again, if you're not a Christian this morning, the invitation is believe in Jesus. That's all you need. And then Romans 6 says, so, so we can sin then? So, so what should we do? Should we carry on in sin? And Paul argues, no, of course not. That totally misunderstands. You don't have to sin. You, you can live in the good of this grace now, and you can live the God life. Why, why would you want to? Why would you want to sin? You get to read your Bible. You get to pray. You get to build a relationship with God. And you get to go to church. Not just go to church. You get to fly side by side with each other. So by the time we get to Romans 12, this command comes, come on, come on, you don't have to, you don't have to rejoice and mourn and be close to each other, you get to do it, you get to be close to each other, to experience the highs and lows of life together, why wouldn't you want to, why would you want to fly your little Spitfire miles over there when you can fly in close, wing by wing, and go through life together? And the reason that we don't is because it's pretty costly, isn't it? It's pretty, it's pretty hard opening up and being honest together. So rejoice with those who rejoice on any given Sunday morning. You can wander around. And if you're not close to people, you can feel, um, uh, you can actually, what, what sort of emotions can you get when you hear good news on somebody else's part? If that good news is not happening for you, what sort of things do you feel? Jealous. jealous. Okay, you get jealousy, envy, comparison. And Facebook is just a great example of that, isn't it? 
because you don't really know the 200 friends you've got, that picture of that lovely holiday that comes up makes you jealous. You're not particularly rejoicing with that person. You don't know the pain and the struggle they've had trying to get that holiday happening. They missed it last year or three years ago, and that has finally happened. You don't know all that. You just see the picture, and you think, I wish I was there. Okay? So we can come on our Sunday mornings and wander around and, and you know, uh, yeah, I just got engaged. I got a promotion. I got more money. You're going on another stunning holiday. You're going to have a baby. Um, you've moved into a bigger house. Yeah, I'm so pleased for you. And the very practical example is um, we're in the middle of like trying to buy a house, and uh, we've had a, we had an offer on our flat, and we've got an offer on a house, and really liking the house, and we're kind of looking at the moving date happening and looking at all, all those things, and suddenly that all falls through over the last week, and so we're back to square one. In a parallel line, um, Frank and Tiff here are doing the same thing. And they're kind of, you know, finding their house. And theirs is, is pretty sh- a bit shaky, but it's all still in place. And so I go up to Frank this morning, how's the house been going? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. It's all looking good. We've got our house. We've got our buyer. And I'm like, we've just lost all of our stuff. I'm so pleased for you, you know. Really. <laughs> And it, it really is, it really is, because we, we are genuinely going for that. We are genuinely sad and, and miffed and, God, what's going on here? And yet, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, okay? And we want to genuinely be rejoicing with these guys. And if we are close enough, then we can feel their joy and we can be part of that. And it's about us being content in God in ourselves. And I'm just going to ask Melinda to just come and share some of her journey about how she had to have that battle, really, of rejoicing um, when others were rejoicing. Um, Just a round of applause. (laughs) Yes, a bit about my story. Um, I'm the oldest of three siblings. And growing up, I didn't really fantasize about my wedding day, about the dress or the flowers. But I did live with the assumption that I would get married. And at a pretty young age as well, because that's just what I saw in the church growing up. So that was the path I assumed I would follow. So in my early 20s, all my close friends started to get married. And I was their bridesmaid. And then a few years later, they started having kids. And then my sister, who's younger than me, she got married. And now all my sister's friends are getting married. So I'm now in my late 20s. I'm still single. And then my brother's friends start getting married. And these are the kids I used to babysit for. <laughs> and, and by this point, all my friends are partnered up. All their families are growing. And I'm rapidly becoming the only single person in a number of my friendship groups. And I start worrying that the path I assumed I would take actually was not the path God had for me. So I get to my 30s and I had a bit of a crisis. I've been a bridesmaid seven times. I've been to so many weddings and baby showers that I'd lost count. And I started to fear that actually I might not get married. It was a fear that I would watch everyone pair up and get married and leave me behind. And it was a fear that somehow I'd failed, that because I wasn't married, I'd done something wrong. And people would say, helpfully, I just can't understand why you're still single. And you think, ah, have I done something to put people off? Is, Is there something that I've done? And then with every year passing and each new wedding invitation, I was constantly being asked to rejoice with those who were rejoicing. Oh, you're engaged. Yay, it's really exciting. Oh, you're pregnant. Oh, I'm so pleased for you. <laughs> but I wasn't, not completely, because I was sad. I was disappointed. 
and I was in danger of becoming jealous and bitter, like Reuben was saying. And what I had done was I'd allowed my disappointment in God to rob me of joy. I was disappointed that God had not brought my life to where I thought it should be. And sometimes we allow our disappointment to stop us in our tracks. Um, it sometimes felt like singleness was the waiting room for marriage. I was waiting for a husband to come so that then life could start. Because then I could serve God better because there was two of us. It would be like double the serving power. <laughs> but actually that wasn't what God was calling me to do. He wasn't just calling me to wait. Um, I wasn't incomplete because I was single. But in that crisis moment, it just felt like that. And I, I, I felt I had two choices. I could get angry at God for not providing what I wanted. Or I could trust that his plan for my life was perfect. It was just actually a different path to mine. Because either God was who he said he was, or he wasn't. And the Bible speaks of so many promises for us, and two of which I knew by heart and could have quoted at you. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Well, I didn't actually feel God's plan was prospering me, if I was honest. I felt it was hindering me, and I did let him know about it. And then Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And I did. <laughs> I made sure God was in no doubt that I wanted to get married. And actually, in my opinion, I thought he was taking too long to make it happen. So my choice was I either believed these promises were for me or they weren't. Was God's plan for me perfect? Because if his promises weren't for me or they weren't good enough, then I might as well just go and do what all my non-Christian friends were telling me to do. Just go out and find a husband. I could find one in a bar or in a club. Or I'd let them set me up with one of their friends. <laughs> but surely that wasn't God's best for me, surely. If God's promises were true, then I really wanted to run hard after them. And rejoicing with those who rejoice means that you feel and you show joy with those who are celebrating. But there is a cost to that. Because when you weep with those who are suffering, you're sad for them and you, you feel re really empathy for their situation. But you're not wishing that you were experiencing what they are. You're not wishing that you'd lost what they'd lost. But when you rejoice with those who are rejoicing, you're celebrating with someone who has got what you've really been praying for. They've got what you so deeply desire. So how do we do that? How do we ensure that we're not just outwardly celebrating, but inwardly feeling really bitter and jealous? How do we ensure we're not shouting inwardly, that should be me, why isn't that me? And I found that it was by learning how to be content in God. Because in the Bible, Paul who was single, he said in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content and I can be satisfied in every circumstance. And our default is to want what others have. We don't need to work hard to be jealous. That just happens naturally. <laughs> we are not naturally content. So I really had to pray about it. I had to practice it. I had to desire it. And being content can only happen when you're trusting in God. You're trusting that God is our all in all. He is all that I need. But being content isn't passive if we want to experience the contentment Paul talks about, then we need to actively use the gifts and talents he's given us. Being content is not being satisfied with where your life is or what your marital status is. It's constantly striving to do what God has called us to do in every circumstance. And so the result was that being content in God meant I was free to rejoice with others. I could choose to get excited with those who were engaged or having kids. I could celebrate with them in the moment. But then I just took my disappointment and my longing to God afterwards. If we are unable to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, then we will find that in time we need to withdraw from those that are. So we might back off church, because church is full of people rejoicing openly, but it's full of people weeping, but weeping silently. If we can't rejoice with those who rejoice, then we will hide away when others are celebrating. 
But it's in those moments that we have to run towards those that are rejoicing. We have to celebrate with them. Because we often refer to church as a family. It's, it's the family of God. And families spend time together. They rejoice and they weep together and everything in between. So I'm not saying I had an epiphany moment. I definitely wasn't instantly granted with serenity or deep contentment, annoyingly. <laughs> I had to work at it and I recognised I couldn't do it on my own. So I met with some really good friends um, who I could share my disappointment and pain with and we prayed. And I was determined that my as yet unanswered prayer for marriage wouldn't rob me of joy. Joy for other people and joy for God in myself. If I never got married, then I would still praise God. And the church family helped me do that. Families in the church invited me around for lunch, for games nights, even Christmas Day. And these weren't pity invites. This was friendship across age, across marital status and circumstance. So my question is to you, who are you inviting in? Are you aware of those around you that might need to be included into your family right now? Now, my, my experience of rejoicing when single is, is just one. There are so many others where we are commanded to rejoice. When a friend is pregnant and a baby is what you desire. When someone gets healed and you're struggling with long-term illness. When someone gets promoted at work and you're struggling with a difficult job situation. Or when someone comes into money and you're struggling with debt. We need to be a family, a church family, that rejoice with those that rejoice wholeheartedly. So, my story. <laughs> um, even if I didn't get married, I was still going to praise God. Even if I don't get that job, I'm still going to praise God. Even if I don't have a baby, I'm still going to praise God. Those... Uh, those are some of the deepest of things, aren't they? And they don't happen overnight. The battles that you've got to do with God in that stuff, that is an ongoing process. Um, but that's why we come to church. You sing that Shepherd of My Heart song, contentment is in you, God, not in any of these things, even though it feels like it, it would be. Contentment is in you, God. You are my all in all. And sometimes those phrases, to say them, are just the biggest of things, aren't they? So um, moving on to the mourning, weeping side of it, um, I, I had moments where I had to kind of say those phrases through gritted teeth and tears. Um, so uh, I just thought it'd be helpful to just talk a little bit about what it's like to be at church when you are in deep pain um, and for some here that is your experience you've either now at this moment or in the past or maybe in the future and the kinds of things that we can say that are helpful and not helpful because often it can be like um, we don't feel we're very good actually at dealing with suffering um, that we can, it can feel a bit like Russian roulette as we, as we kind of try and give some kind of help that we can either feel like we're not sure what to say, so we say nothing. Uh, we're scared to say the wrong thing, so we say nothing. We, we try to say the right thing, and we say something, and it turns out to be completely the wrong thing, and uh, it really doesn't help that person, and it's really painful. It's increased that person's pain. And then... Sadly, sometimes we're just indifferent to it. We are flying a little bit further out, and so we don't actually uh, know somebody's in pain at all. And I think that can often happen. 
that we, we don't even think about getting involved. And I think it's just to say we, we don't get this right at all. And when I was going through my painful times, people who tried to say stuff and said the wrong thing, um, sometimes it was painful, but actually I knew, there was, I, I knew they really were trying to help, and there was a lot of grace for that in me. And I wasn't, you, you know, you kind of work through your own hurt in that, but actually it's better to kind of try and have a go um, at, at some of that. Um, and often I found the phrase, I've no idea what you're going through, <laughs> was quite a good opener. So here's a little bit of my story. Um, six years ago, my, uh, my marriage ended. Um, I moved out of the family home where my three children were, and I changed jobs working for the church and went back to teaching in one week and moved in, uh, moved in with some friends from church in that week. And the following Sunday, I went to church um, to see what that would feel like. Um, and uh, and if in that kind of moment, it felt like the Twin Towers had come down. It was complete shock and numbness. And you see the pictures of people who experienced the, you know, those videos from the, from the streets when the Twin Towers come down, people just not even talking to each other, just mouths open, watching rubble and smoke and, and just carnage happen. And that was how it felt for me, um, just watching all of life collapse um, in this huge mess. And... Um, and, and so I, I didn't, it was just shock and numbness. And often when people experience death of loved ones or some very quick change in life, that will be your first reaction. And that probably lasted for a couple of months, just total shock. Just couldn't comprehend what had happened. So if you'd have come to me on a Sunday morning and say, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I have no idea. I cannot put into words what I'm going through. And I found actually coming late and leaving early for church was great because I didn't have capacity to talk. Um, but what I found in that time was somewhat, sometimes standing in the congregation or sitting in the congregation, unable to sing really, and I found other people singing for me. The privilege we have of this flying by side by side, my friends, either side, they're singing these songs, and I was singing them in my heart. I was too many tears and too many churn up emotions to actually sing, but we were, they were singing for me. That's something we get to do as a congregation. And you might find people on your row, people in here this morning, you're sitting down, they look like you look like you're a bit out of it, but you know, just getting here was the big deal. Just being at church was the big deal. And so having others, kind of not judging each other, but actually supporting each other. Um, I found in that time very practical things were key. Um, I didn't really want long, big conversations, but actually just, just it was all about keeping breathing, <laughs> keeping eating, keeping sleeping, just keeping life going in some way so you could move through, through those couple of months to something else. And then, then a kind of sadness thing, so shock first and then a sadness. It's like there's a big black cloud just over everything you do. You're starting to feel stuff. But there's this, just this weight. So again, for some of us here on our Sunday mornings, you'll just know there's a sadness over you the whole time. Where you, you find it affects your sleeping and your eating. And there's a sadness. And I found that I wanted to start talking to people. So in our coffee time at church, people would say um, things like, um, so how are you? How are you doing? And I'm like, it's like I've been to the moon and back or been to the center of the earth and back. And I, I've got no 
uh, way of explaining these things to, to you, really, and, um, or in, in a quick way. And it would have to be a much bigger conversation. And I generally wanted to be open and honest. So I ended up developing a little system where I said, um, what do you want, the U, PG, 15, or 18 version? Okay. <laughs> And, and my friend's there, my friend asked me this, he's got his ticket in his hand to get his kids, and he said, oh yeah, how, how you doing mate, how was your week? And I'm like, oh, there's no way I can tell you in a moment. And I said, I said this, you know, what do you want, you, PG, 15, 18? And, uh, and he said, uh, 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 all right, and he gave his ticket to his wife, and then he sat down with me for 20 minutes or so. And it's possible on Sunday mornings, even to get to moments of honesty and openness, and I'd encourage us, really, I've, I've had those conversations in the last six months here, where you, you can actually get to some pretty honest, open moments, even with people that you're kind of just getting to know in this context. And often I found it was, it was sometimes by going there myself, you know, you share a bit of your own struggles and you honestly of your own story, and then you find sometimes the person you're talking to or others then step into that place as well asking thoughtful questions, kind of seeing what's really going on in that person's life. How are they going to be feeling, like Melinda was, you know, being single at 31? Um, how are they going to be feeling about what are good questions to ask? And actually listening to each other and moving, just moving a little bit closer. And that is possible to do in this context. But then there is a limitation to it. And often now conversations on Sunday, a lot of conversation is about football um, for me. I know, and that's a, again, a great connecting point. But it, 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 they, and we do have those sort of conversations on Sundays as well. And that's fine. It's all part of getting to know. But actually getting out of the morning into the week is so key. That's why communities are kind of a vital part of church, church life. Because you get that little bit closer and honest conversations and then I found actually some of the best moments are so just with two or three others where you then really start to open up about sin you're struggling with and kind of fighting sin together. And a couple of my, my friends I found absolutely vital in, in that kind of context. And the other thing I found happening was there being um, a range of people in my life was really important. Um, that there was some, uh, I found the church leaders, my friends Jim and Kieran in the church were kind of big spiritual oversight moments and would go to them for, you know, some of the biggest of questions, you know, life direction, um, you know, where, where should I live, job stuff and some struggles with the kids. And they were really kind of helpful individuals to just, and, and as leaders actually, a godly authority that, you know, that, that it's great for us to open ourselves to our leaders and let godly wisdom and authority come to our lives. And for me, those guys were completely that. But actually, they, there was a, a sense of busyness to their lives. And so during the week, I needed other people as well. And I found my mate Dan and Jenny were just, just irreplaceable in every few days. Go out for a beer, have me round for a meal, go and organize a risk game. Just doing like really mundane things of life. That was part of mourning while I was mourning. And they were, they were flying side by side with me. And these, that, those are like aeroplanes, one little spitfire, one big hurricane, all different, flying alongside. And there was, um, 
my friends Anthony and Wendy, who I went and lived with, he was a kind of farmer. Um, he's come from a farming background. I don't know anything about it. So our conversations, he was trying to convince me about tractors and the greatness of tractors. I was convincing him of football. And after five years of living uh, with them, neither of us still have any interest in each other's worlds in that way. But they walked the path with me and they mourned as I was mourning. They made space for my kids to be there in their home, and we played dominoes. The presence of God through dominoes, actually. Very, very simple stuff, but vital to me rebuilding life, really. And then another guy, 21-year-old guy, Luke, that I played golf with, and uh, uh, would just, you know, just go around, and, and Saturdays were big blank moments for me. I found them really painful. Um, and, you know, Christmas, Easter's holidays and stuff like that, but also these Saturdays. And Luke, me and Luke, playing golf. He didn't have any eyes. He's a 21-year-old guy. I just want a game of golf, really. I don't want all this stuff. But actually, he became, again, hugely important. And it was these range of people in church life that support each other. And it's this little, whatever it is, armada, the aerial equivalent of armada, <laughs> just being with each other, flying side by side. And so whatever your gifting is in church life, you can be part of that journey. Why wouldn't you want to be? Paul says, why, why wouldn't you want to be close in here? Because you could help each other. And there's a moment where you're going to need that help too. And so this range of people become like really key. And they mourned with me as I mourned. <laughs> and as stood here nine months ago, getting married to Melinda, and James does our vows, and we turn around, and he, we did the kiss the bride bit, and we both turn around, and we look at our friends, those who mourned with me, then they rejoiced. And the cheer and the roar that went up was because I knew it was their story too. That they were celebrating God. They were celebrating God's grace. And my story that they've been part of, they'd had a part of it. That I was here because of them. And they were cheering themselves and God and us and who knows what. But we were, there was this rejoicing that happened in that moment. Then you look on the other half of the room and you see all of Melinda's friends who have mourned over the years and struggled and helped her rejoice. And all this collection comes together. And there's our photo. And there they all are. And that's church. And very obviously for some, that was, you know, obviously such a, a wonderful circle of grace to finish with being married. But, you know, for some, you won't experience the same thing. There's a contentment in God that comes first. But here they are. There's Dan. And there's Anthony and Wendy. And there's... Pete and Rachel, and there's Luke and Josh, and there's Katie and her job, and there's Laura and Kenny, and name after name, 60 names of people that have been flying side by side with me. Why wouldn't you want to be part of rejoicing and mourning? It takes, uh, it does cause sacrifice. It causes laying aside our own preferences, laying aside our self-centeredness, laying aside our need for isolation. But we get to do this. 
most amazing privilege. Just as we, as we wrap up, just to say it's all about pointing people to God. Actually, all of these friends, all that they did was, you know what, mate, I don't know, it's in God. You've got to find it in God. He is our refuge. He is our rock. He is our anchor. He is our contentment. He is our all in all. He is everything to us. He is the shepherd of our hearts. And it's only in God these things are found. And we point each other that way. We lift each other up that way. So this morning, there's three kind of things I, I feel. There's the, there's the, the kind of thing about, um, uh, uh, first of all, that the need to, to be honest, the risk, the risk of being honest, to fly your plane closer in. And for some of us, the practical outworking of that would just be to kind of work out how do you get that in your normal, busy working life? How do you fly closer? It's so much for the morning meeting here, I think, with the responsibilities that we have and, and families and children and so on. A real, a real challenge to find time to fly closer. But how can you do that? Maybe just a lunchtime at work with some other Christians, maybe an evening, a coffee, a morning praying together. Times where you can just come closer and open up and be honest. And it may even be on Sunday mornings that you can step into those things. Is your plane flying right out there and you need to come closer in? The second one, the contentment. There's some people you need to come and do a deal with God and saying, God, I choose to say you are good even though I don't have this thing that I really want. Like Melinda um, talked about, finding your contentment in God and appreciating that's really tough and it's a long ongoing process. And thirdly, for people who are really genuinely, you're, you're in pain this morning, you just feel that numbness and that shock or that black cloud of sadness. And I feel God would say, come to him. Come to him and give him your pain. He will miraculously make your burden lighter. I experienced that. Let's, um, let's just uh, pray, shall we? I'll just pray to finish.